Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews, and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold. Alrighty, welcome everyone to Hawks Insiders. Wednesday night, safe space. At least Wednesday night for a couple more weeks before we move back to our traditional Thursdays. My name is Ashley Brown. Great to have you with us once again on this dreary Melbourne winter's evening. Dreary as we contemplate what the Hawks have been the last couple of weeks as well. We'll get into that very, very shortly. We, uh, we've got uh, most of the crew with us tonight. Uh, Andrew Levine, uh, Andrew Weiss and Darren Levine on various school and other duties. Um, I hope to be back next week. But in the, co- in the driver's seat tonight, is Danny Prince. Hello, Danny. Ash, good to be with you tonight. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can find other things to chat about outside of the performance last weekend because it wasn't very good. We actually put a shout-out for some questions and uh, we've had a wonderful response, so that'll take up a bit of uh, Thank the spaces. And I've also given you all a bit of homework just before we started tonight as well, so that I'll be hitting you up with a bit later on. Uh, Brad Klebanski, hello. Congratulations on your blues last week. Thank you very much, Ash. Do I have the good or the bad tonight? Uh, we'll see how it goes. We've got, uh, we'll probably, I'll, I don't know, I'll probably give you the bad because it's, uh, yeah, that's what makes you happy, makes you comfortable, and what you're known for. And good to have Simon Morowitz with us for the uh, duration. Hello, Morrow. Hey, Ash. Um, if you want this to stay under about three hours, I, I wouldn't give Brad the bad. <laughs> Well, it's the same old, same old. It's just like the old, uh, press the get I was going to say. Uh, come spewing out, so. <laughs> he just keeps it in, in his notes yeah, app on his it's... phone and just says, yeah, tick, 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 cross, tick. It's Brett Lee off the long run, point. isn't it, really? That's what it is. Uh, yeah, so he'll get to that very, very shortly. Um, thank you for your support of Fox Insiders. $5 a month, $50 a year for great online Hawthorne content, a bit, bit of interest in the non-official Hawthorne media space that we might get to a bit later on as well. Just there's something I've noticed. I spoke about it on SEN earlier this evening here on Court in my segment, but uh, worth exploring just a little bit uh, towards the end as well. But let's get into it. Uh, a pretty crappy day for the Hawthorne Footy Club at the MCG on Sunday, losing to Carlton. And an MCG home game for the first time, I think, since uh, 2000, I think I saw the stat. It's pretty disappointing. It was Carlton 17-10-112, defeating Hawthorne 7-10-52. About the only two good things to come out of it was the uh, wonderful activation by the Hawks for Pancare and uh, having those three or, f- three or four bays of the uh, MCG, the top deck of the MCG, reserved the to commemorate the 3,500 people who've lost their lives. To pancreatic cancer was a, a great gesture by the football club. What it did mean, of course, with 65,000 people in attendance is that uh, the AFL members, and especially the MCZ members, had to do some of the great unwashed infiltrating their space because the public areas were actually full and the uh, spillover had to go into the reserved areas. But uh, all for a good cause and uh, being a Hawthorne home game, there was the slight uh, consolation that uh, pretty every Carlton supporter in the joint had to pay money to get in. So the Hawks made a bit of coin out of the day, but not much else went their way. Uh, so 
Daniel, start with you. Give us some uh, good out of the day. What could you find? Well, you found the best one um, straight off the bat. So thanks for taking one of very few. Um, but look, there were there were a couple of a couple of positives. I thought um, the return to the senior side of uh, Josh Ward was a real positive. Um, he spent the better part of the last month down at Box Hill after injury. And um, yeah, he, he looked really good. He was one of our better players straight off the bat. He moved well. He uh, used the ball fairly well comparatively to his teammates. Um, I would say, I'll preface that by saying nobody used the ball very well uh, on Sunday, but you know, comparatively, he wasn't bad. Um, and it was just good to see him come straight in and be our leading disposal getter on the ground. So um, a big tick to Josh Ward. Um, I thought Will Day continued to be uh, impressive. Again, another one of the Hawks that didn't use it very well, but his endeavour was great. Um, he's really developing a nice repertoire of, um, of tricks to get himself out of tight spaces. Um, and yeah, he's... He's definitely um, one of the upcoming leaders of this uh, young football club, and uh, it's great to see his star continue to rise. Um, I would say uh, Josh Weddle's response to being put on Charlie Kerno and copping an early bath, um, I thought his response in the second half was pretty impressive. And to finish a game like that where the Hawks got absolutely towed as a 19-year-old in your first year and finish with... Uh, 23 touches and 19 pressure acts um, was a pretty solid effort. Look, he wasn't he wasn't fantastic by any means. So, um, you know, I'm not making excuses for him. But, you know, you just want young kids to show something, to show heart, to show dash. And he definitely did that. Um, and then I thought even though they got beaten, uh, a couple of our mids battled hard is like that's a that's a really scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of the good. But they battled hard. They tried. They battled manfully. Um, they weren't effective, but James Warfel and John Newcomb were okay. So um, that's pretty much all I got, Ash, in terms of players. I, I, there was a lot to not enjoy uh, from Sunday's game. And I'm a generally a fairly optimistic, positive person. Um, but on the back of the previous match against the Gold Coast, I thought there would be some kind of response to dish up that first half like they did was atrocious. So I would say the only other positive I would be able to bring is that the third quarter fight back after halftime um, to win that quarter was was pretty good. That was uh, very comprehensive. I think you got it right. Brad, uh, you weren't part of the recap podcast on Sunday night. We tend to keep you off them because otherwise it would be an eight-part special. That I would have loved would to be recording Sunday night. We would be recording. We might have to get you on for one before the end of the year, but it would have been an eight-part special. We would still be going into the morning. Um, some of us have uh, to do things like sleep. We ended up giving, and I think in hindsight we look a bit silly. Uh, we ended up giving eleven players a pass, <laughs> which I don't think was quite. Yeah, no, we missed the mark there. Yeah, I think we missed the mark. I think we've been overly generous. How many players do you think got a pass mark out of that game? They'd be lucky to you'd be uh, lucky to count them on uh, one hand. I'll try and keep the short uh, for the bad, um, but I am happy to join on uh, if we do when we're playing four forty-five on Saturday. We're not winning, so I'd be more than happy to join after we get comprehensively beaten by GWS on the cow paddock on Saturday. But we'll leave that one for later. Um, 
first bad, the match was over before it was begun, uh, before it started after uh, selection. We spoke about it internally. I messaged straight away. Harry Morrison, Chad Wingard coming to the team. Harry actually played pretty well. He had the full 20, was leading possession getter in the first three quarters. Uh, Finn McGuinness is the sub, a slow midfielder that can't kick. He also did okay uh, when he came on, but the team selection reeked of Alistair Clarkson days. Those can disagree, but that team on Saturday was completely the wrong side, and the team selection set the tone for the game. Prinzi mentioned it, goalless in the back half against Gold Coast, goalless in the first half this week. We played Carlton, who were 15th. Gold Coast, when we played them, were 14th. So to come out and not kick a goal in the first half against a side that, yes, they had a good win before the bye, but Carlton's not a great side this year. They won't be playing finals this year. Extremely disappointing. The rough combination again, which I've written about numerous times, absolutely deplorable. Ned Reeves subbed out after two possessions and one mark. Lloyd Meek didn't have a kick for the game, had seven handballs and one mark. Playing against little Silvani, and Louis Young, no Ruckman. We won the hitouts by about, I think, 32. Lost clearances, got completely manhandled in the middle. Connor Nash had another poor game, his second in a row, which is quite disappointing. I mentioned in our group uh, he looks cooked. Ash disagrees. I think you're just going to say uh, he's in bad form. I think he's going to get a rest. I've just got a feeling him or one of the midfielders will get rested this week. It's time we see one of Cooper Stevens. Hopefully, Cooper Stevens, um, Henry Husswaite, we might get a debut soon, which would be good. Um, yeah, we're going to get to that in the questions, bro, because what, a couple of the questions, one of the questions will lace to that. So hold your horses on who we might see yeah. in the next few weeks, because we'll address that with one of the questions. The forward line, very poor. The dropping of Cozzy, even though he wasn't great the week before, but had performed well against Brisbane, had a you know disappointing game and gets dropped. So he's, Mitch Lewis is left uh, one out. Double team, triple teamed all game. Yes, it was great to see Fergus Green come back. He could have kicked three or four goals, but let's be honest, he didn't have an opponent all game because his opponent was playing on Mitch uh, Lewis uh, the whole game. So not having a second key forward was terrible. We saw DGB kick four in the VFL. I've seen a lot of people calling for him to come into the team. Be great to see him in. If DGB plays, he plays as, as a uh, defender. It's great that he kicked four goals, but he kicked four goals against a poor VFL side. Um, he was trialed there. For, I know he's played one or two quarters occasionally this year, but if he's going to be played as a forward, he stays in the VFL and plays a few more games as a forward in the VFL. I don't know what the answer is. Jack is back from injury, but he'll need a few weeks in the VFL. Um, the back line without James Sisley yet again. Sam Frost was an absolute uh, disaster. I love Frosty, but his time's up. He needs to go. It's time we start looking to the future. And if DGB is going to come in, hopefully he does come in. This week he plays as a defender. GWS don't have a big forward line. Uh, James Blank can play on uh, Jesse Hogan. Um, Blake Hardwick will obviously play on Toby Green like he always does. So, yeah, DGB hopefully comes in this week. CJ probably needs another week in the VFL, but our back line is poor. All of the lines, forward line, midfield, ruck, back line was just a disaster. Apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? Um, Mara, you didn't see much of the game, but I want to know, you, you wanted to point out to all the people talking up about Hawthorne kicking five points in the first half. 
Yeah, well, you guys are lightweight. So I was in Adelaide the, the day that we scored three at halftime. So um, enough of it. You know, we've what? all been there and it's, it's um, five is a luxury. What year was that? Was the day that Charlie Dixon tore us a new one? I, I, it was a couple of years ago now, but um, oh, was that a was that a wet night? No, not not from memory. Um, but yeah, he just took like three or four big pack marks and and it was over by halftime. Which, by the way, meant the, the the Port Adelaide fans were a bit more civil about it. So, I, you know, positives. How do you? We haven't had you on for a couple of weeks. How do you think the Hawks are tracking? Well, here's the thing. We have the rarest of luxuries this year, which is a season, an entire season with no pressure. Whatever happens, happens. We are clearly building beyond this. And I think in the moment it's very easy to forget that. But on the whole, a season is a season, and and it's going to have ups and downs. This is the year where we can have them. I'm not going to be this generous next year, but this is the year where – Anything goes. And, and and as long as the the coaches can get back, you know, during the week and, and teach the players what went wrong and how to do it better next time, I don't really care about the scoreboard. And I think we all kind of agreed that academically at the start of the year. Uh, and I think it's, you, it's important to... You were to very re- big on this. It's good that you're reminding us of this. This was your stick back in... Yeah, well, it's, it's important to remember it because you can get lost in, in back-to-back 10-goal losses or whatever it is. At the end of the season, we're not going to think about games like this. We're going to think about the good ones and bounce off those and build off those. And and I just, yeah, I'm here to remind everyone that this is a season of no pressure, no significance and no consequence. So by all means, get told. And, and, and Brad, you can point to Carlton's ladder position. They are better than that. They are a better team than that. We don't have two Coleman medalists and a Brownlow medalist and a Rising Star winner and, and all that. They are better than their ladder position. And they're going to beat pretty bad teams. We are in a clear bottom three. And teams outside that are going to beat us. And that's okay. Unless Torpon gets them on a bad day, which has happened a couple of times this year. So we've got... It's good to have you. So you're the realist. Brad's the, you know, the pessimist. You're the realist. Uh, so your, your opinions uh, and your views are, are very, very welcome. So we'll put a bow on that day there. I sort of discussed the fan experience already in terms of the uh, the crowd and uh, and the pan care activation. So that's four home games down, two to go. The one was against Collingwood, which is almost an away game, uh, except for the fact the Hawthorne will be wearing the brown shorts. But uh, otherwise, the season will uh, peter out. Hawthorne actually saw it's been quite remarkable this season. It looks at the draw before and factoring the fact that Hawthorne willingly plays three games has willingly played three games in Tasmania so far. But Hawthorne has not played consecutive games in Victoria all year. They hit the road again this Saturday to play the Giants, where they are at a venue, Giant Stadium, where they are 0-7. Then after that, it's seven games to close out the season, six of which are in Victoria and one, one more remaining in Tasmania. So it really is quite a lopsided draw. So... It's always, we've always been getting out of the habit, those of us who live in uh, Melbourne, um, always out of the habit of going to, going to the footy every week. To watch Hawthorne, well, for the last seven weeks of the season, you can get back in the habit because it's six out of the last seven weeks. It's been quite a strange season from a draw point of view. Danny, uh, the VFL, 
uh, anything noteworthy out of the Box Hill game of the week? I mean, other than our new uh, forward line lord and saviour, Denver Granger Barras, no, not really. Um, no, I, obviously the biggest talking point to come out of that Box Hill game was uh, a move forward for, for DGB. And we've been talking uh, almost incessantly on uh, the Hawks Insiders podcast about, you know, Denver Granger Barras in one, you know, way, shape or form. And, you know, there's people on either side of the fence, give him time, be patient, young key position player, they take time to develop. Um, there's others who are saying if he doesn't make the team in the next couple of weeks, you know, scrap him at the end of the year, he's back off to WA. I can understand both trains of thought, uh, even if I cl- see, clearly sit in uh, in the first one. Um, I think... You know, one game means nothing. Port Port Melbourne not a not a great side. It's it's fair to say. Um, so you know, we shouldn't put the cart before the horse and think we've found the answer to our forward line needs or our forward line issues. Um, but that is a positive a positive game for 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 DGB and and you know the sort of performance you you love to see. I think um, you know uh, he talked to the Hawthorne website about having a lot of freedom this week. They basically just told him to go out, attack the footy. Um, And what I really liked was that they were really impressed with his running patterns because his running patterns and his endurance as a defender has been one of the things that's let him down the most. So hearing uh, comments from our coaching staff saying, you know, he really, um, his running was really, really good uh, is a positive sign. I think the freedom that playing in the forward line for somebody like Denver, who is a player who likes to attack, um, uh, attack the the ball and read it on its merits and 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 fly for for his marks. It just gives him the freedom of knowing he doesn't have to worry about it. Uh, a player he can just go and go and do it. And even if it's not a long term fix to play him up forward, that confidence that he'll get um, from having a few weeks of being able to do that will hold him in good stead if he goes back into the back line either later this year or next year or uh, or never. So. Um, I think there's I think there's something to work with there. I don't know whether it earns him a place in the Hawthorne side next week. Um, but look, I mean, I think everybody knows where I stand on that sort of thing. I'd be playing Denver uh, every week until the end of the year, at least to know what we have. Um, and then you can work out um, what we want to do with him uh, post the end of 2023. Uh, but I think there was more positive performances uh, for a few other players. I thought... Um, you know, uh, we saw another reasonable game out of um, Cooper Stevens and Henry Hustwaite. Ned Long got in amongst it. Um, there was a, a really impressive performance in the back half for Jai Sarong, uh, who at about 192, 193 centimetres, um, you know, could be that third uh, tall defender that we're looking for um, going forward. I think that it was said that, you know, the last couple of weeks he's been very, very impressive. Uh, and Cam McKenzie playing a full game, having 20-odd touches and um, and two goals as well, I think is a, another positive. But, um, yeah, that's that's probably what we saw out of the uh, out of the Box Hill game. And, um, you know, there's enough positives in there to, to get excited about it. Yeah, so Brown, who's a Box Hill listed player, 33. GF, 26. Mosquito, 26. Sarong, 25. Ned Long, 23. McKenzie, 23. Hussway, 22. Stevens 22, Phillips 21, Kaziski 18. And in terms of the goals, DGB kick four, McKenzie kick two. They were the main um, 
they were the main we'll, highlight. We'll say one other thing, Ash, while Hill. we're there. Um, Brandon Ryan um, didn't have a great day, but he, he kicked, kicked six points. So um, clearly he's a focal point, and he's had a very, very rough day with the boot. It'd be interesting to see what, we, what we'd be saying if he brought his kicking boots and he'd, he'd finish the game with six goals because we'd probably be itching for him to get into the team. So um, any time a forward can have six uh, shots on goal um, is, is a good thing. And, you know, you'd hope uh, nine out of ten times that that is more like a four goals two rather than a six behind. So um, something to keep an eye on in the next couple of weeks. It was a bit thin to me, but uh, we shall see. I'm sure he'll play at the level before the end of the season. Uh, we've, now, we took a chat out to offer some questions. We have some excellent questions. We're going to get to that very shortly. But Patrick, firstly, you. Good evening. I was just going to ask, did the MCC allow the general public in to show the uh, English MCC how much better the general public act in the members than the English one? Well, the uh, the MCC disgraced themselves afterwards on Sunday night. Um, and this game was played Sunday afternoon. But there's better class of people in the AFL. Like the, the, the Melbourne Cricket Club members, of which I am one, on the Stritchard level, were better class of people than the MCC members over in the UK don't quite have the born-to-rule mentality of the egg and bacon tie, whereas over there. But, uh, no, it's good It's good to go to the MCC and then uh, get a taste for it and then maybe you put yourself down for the waiting list, which is ridiculously long at the moment. They had another uh, intake the other day for one month of, of waiting list to become a full member. So it's, uh, it's I calculated I've still, got, I've still got 15 years now before I become a full member of the MCC, which is... Uh, which is not ideal. Uh, Dan, you're getting so, you're getting so close now. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'm so close. I can touch it in 15 years. I will be able to touch it. But I'm a restri- restricted member. I have a media pass, so effectively, I'm a full member of the uh, at this but, stage. I'm effectively a full member. By the way, I should mention I do love the SEN and love of all the Hawthorne independent media because I I saw they mentioned me on the sounding board scorecard the other week as well. Well, you are just becoming a media star. You'll have your own show on SDN before long, Patrick. Uh, just uh, write Hutchie a nice note and uh, you'll be there because you, you're, you're so well known there now. Dan, good evening. G'day, fellas. Great show. A um, couple of observations and a question, if I could. The first observation, I think it's clear to us now that going into next year's draft, as well as a key forward, a key defender, we now have to add, an, add a ruckman to the equation and possibly someone who has a better around-the-ground um, presence. I wonder sometimes whether the tap ruckman is almost extinct to a certain extent. Um, the other thing, too, is you guys have already touched on it, playing Wingard, um, Finn McGuinness, and who was the other one you spoke of? They're just blocking... Harry Morrison. Yeah, they're just, Harry they're Morrison. just blocking development. They're not part of our next premiership push, so... I think none of them should play again. Um, and I, I don't think there's any currency to be gained by playing Wingard. I don't think he'll have any value at season's end. Um, and the question for you guys is around, we can clearly see what a big void Sicily leaves. And obviously his, um, his ability to read the play probably can't be taught. But I just wondered whether a Connor Nash... Um, a Will Day or a Scrimshaw could potentially play that role. Although I do get nervous that Scrimshaw might be being passed by by some of the kids. So, can you get your thoughts on that? 
Uh, all good questions. We'll throw them around a bit. I think Will Day could play that role because he's smart. And he, he, he played that role for a while against Gold Coast. Just as Gold Coast were getting on top in the second quarter, they moved him back and he was able to stench, stem the damage for a little while. I think Will Day could do it, but he's just such a silky, beautiful midfielder that I think they'd like to get him in there. Uh, uh, gents, what, what do you think about the other points that uh, Dan's made? Scrimshaw. Um, agree with everything he said. Scrimshaw defensively is incredibly poor, which we've seen him dropped for before. I think he's going to be lucky at, at the what uh, the way he's playing currently. Um, I think he'll be lucky to be in our best team at the end of this year and the start of next year. I know we raved about him and we couldn't believe he wasn't in the side at the start of the year. I think he's been actually quite poor since coming back into the team. He gets a lot of the ball, but defensively he's not uh, good enough. Great. Uh, DGB is the player who I think could become that an intercept defender for the time being, whilst, you know, which is why I believe he should be in the side. The Ruckman agree 100%. Ned Reeves, I keep hearing how young he is. He hasn't played enough games. Pretty sure he's 24. He's turning 25. Uh, he's tall enough. He's big enough. He's tank for someone who's been in the system for, you know, I'm pretty sure this is probably, Princey, correct me if I'm wrong, his fourth year on an AFL list. He's still not fit enough. He just cannot get around uh, the ground, struggles around uh, the ground. Makes better around uh, the ground, but he's not a good tap uh, ruckman. For his size, they don't get uh, angry at, enough. They're not, they don't hurt the opposition. Uh, I think Princey's spoken about, I think Ramsden hopefully can become, you know, uh, either our first or second ruckman to play with one of the current guys. But I agree, I just I can't see at the moment now they're both being played as our number one but neither of them can play as a forward and neither of them do anything around the ground. So playing both of them together leaves us one short every week. So I don't know what the solution is because Ramsden's still two, if not three years away from becoming a consistently good uh, AFL player. Prinzi, you might have a different opinion. No, I think you're, I think you're pretty spot on, Brad. I think, what they're, <clears throat> I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to put uh, Lloyd Meek and Ned Reeves out there um, to work out who long-term takes the mantle as number one ruck. I think looking at them as a duo, they don't work. They don't mesh. Um, they're um, both first rucks who want to ruck the majority of the game. Um, they both offer nothing when they go forward, like you like you suggested, Brad. So we really need... And it shows the value of a player like our ex-skipper Ben McAvoy... Um, and also David Hale in the in the Halcyon years, um, those guys who can do a bit of ruck work, um, or like in McAvoy's case, could ruck all day if you needed him to, but could play as a legitimate second or third key forward. And I think the value there is huge. I think they've got really big raps on Max Ramsden. I've watched him a, a little bit in person. I've watched a lot of film of him. Uh, I'm a big fan. Um, I think his fluidity of movement is very different to Meek and to Reeves. I think he moves around the ground incredibly well, kind of like a tall midfielder, um, a bit sort of Tim English, Luke Jackson style without the polish. Um, but like you said, he is a young, developing, tall, skinny ruck, uh, ruck forward, um, who does some really good things at Box Hill at times and then other times looks a little out of his depth. And, um, you know, th he could come with a rush. I don't think he's two to three years away. I think he's maybe... 18 months away, 
um, from playing some good football at, um, at at the Hawks at AFL level. Um, but he is the one that you want to persist with long-term and he would be a fantastic foil for um, for the one of the Ruckman, which I, I mean, at this stage, you'd have to say is Lloyd Meek because uh, I think I said this in the player ratings pod, but um, Ned Reeves is effectively a statue when he's out on the park. You don't get anything out of him or outside of the 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 um, hit out um, and you, he's he may as we may as well be playing with 17 on the park when he's out there because he offers nothing I uh, was a big rap for Ned Reeves I said in the podcast the other day he had, uh, I'm finally off the uh, bandwagon I've been really disappointed this season Lloyd Meek it's two he'll play two he'll sort of play a good game and a really good game and then you think here we go we found our Ruckman and then his third game tends to be putrid Carlton being a case in point last weekend. So, one, one other quick one, Ash. Yes. Um, also thinking the other day about, you know, there's been games where sides have got a run on and we can't stop them. I wonder whether the club needs to adopt a strategy of more dual position players. You touched on the ruck forward players that can go forward and back. Like you, that just changes the whole dynamics when an opponent has a run on. I just wonder whether more dual position players, whether that's already on our list that can be trained. Yeah, that's something that struck me the other day. Well, that's something yeah. that comes with an inexperienced team. I think we we signed up for that. We walked into that. Um, with with experienced players, you know, like uh, Mitchell and O'Meara in the team, maybe we might be able to stop the runs. But I think that's not really... We see more upside to being young and inexperienced than being experienced and being able to stop those sorts of runs. And yeah, we, we, we signed up for it. Um, it's, it sucks when it happens. Um, but in the long run, those players will get experience together um, and together they'll be able to stop it in the coming seasons. Dan, all great questions. We were going to move on. Thank you. Uh, Whitey, good evening. I see you're, are you a Raiders fan? Yeah. Am I excited about Darren Waller at the Giants? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. As long as he doesn't get injured. He's been injured the last two years. But if he's fit and healthy, bloody oath you are. Oh, very excited. He's, uh, he's, he's training the house down, as I say. What's your question, mate? No, mine's more about everyone. Ra- I, I know they're struggling, the Ruckman. But the two points I want to make, and this was after talking to a mate of mine who's a Melbourne supporter when I was at the game the other week. The two best Ruckman in the game, if you said, can I have the two best Ruckman in the game, you'd take Gorn, and you take the big bloke from Gold Coast. The big bloke from Gold Coast, four years in, was turfed out of Collingwood, and was still wasn't a, he wasn't in the main starting rucks. Max Gorn was almost out the door after his fourth year at Melbourne. We are trying to compare these blokes who are one, they're less than twenty five games each. Yes, Whitey, you're talking my language. Football. That's my problem. Is in two years' time, if they're the same level, then yeah, turf them out the door. And if Ramsden's come through, yes, Max Lynch is. I don't know what's going to happen with Maxi, but we're trying to compare Ruckman have played one year of AFL football against. You're comparing um, uh, um, Benny McAvoy and um, Hale. Hale was turf from North Melbourne eight years in. We're talking about the biggest blokes on the park that could be the biggest important players we've got. The the thing with um with um Reezy, 
until he did his shoulder last year, we're going, oh, my Lord, how good is this bloke going to be? He had a full shoulder reconstruction. My theory with any shoulder, knee, ankle reconstruction is it takes 12 to 18 months to fully recover from it. And that's my problem. Give him 12. In 18 months' time, at the end of next season, if we're seeing the same thing from from Reeves and, um, and Meek, the Maybe think about it then. But we're talking too early. I'm sorry. In a side yeah. that's trying to grow up together, to keep replacing Ruckman ain't going to work. I agree with you. The thing with Ruckman is you don't look at the birth certificate. You look at how many games they've played. And they are both babies. And you've got to give them more time. So, And Rucks tend not to play. They tend not to be 250, 300-game players. They tend to usually be um, with very few exceptions, occasional cases accepted uh, to that, but they take their time. You get them from 27 to 30, 31 is when they're at their peak. They can get them for four or five really good years. And that's what we're getting at the moment with, uh, we're not getting that yet with uh, Meek and Reeves. I think your point about the shoulders also with Reeves, it might be a confidence thing. He needs another full summer to. To, to get over it and to uh, and to get himself right. I agree with you. If they're struggling this time in 12 months, then we'd be cause for concern. But by then, hopefully, Max Ramsden is just about ready, ready to go. So, uh, And they've now got... Uh, they've picked up a young uh, 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 mother tucker. So he uh, he's there as well. So they've got a few... Uh, we've got a few options in the right department. I'm not quite as pessimistic about the big man department as others are. Whitey, we've got a full board. We want to get a few things. So thanks, as always, for your observation. Great to have you on board. G'day, Mick. Ash, how are you doing? I just want to pick up on Whitey's um, observation, which I agree with. The other issue that I've got is our actual centre square mids. I don't think they read the ball very well off our Ruckman. I'm not saying that they um, that the Ruckman are dominating, but they're getting the hit-outs. There's some, there's some missing link between the hand and hitting the ground. Because my other bugbear with our centre square is also we fumble, you know, um, and they're under pressure, and we do that handball around the clock face, and all of a sudden the pressure goes on, and we just we we miss getting clearances out of the square. Um, that's my that's my real frustration. I've got to say with the centre square work more so than the ruckman themselves. Um, well, certainly the Carlton players are reading it much better than Hawthorne players on uh, on Sunday. It's very frustrating. The Carlton players are going to fall the ball. The Hawthorne, the Hawthorne <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing. You know, none of them actually have that burst of speed when you look at them. You know, Warple, Nash, um, Newcomb perhaps, but again, his body size doesn't allow him to do that. Um, and then Will Day, you know, he sort of plays that, um, you know, that's called the quarterback. Not that I like the term, you know, that, that one back on the defensive side looking for the uh, outlet, outlet kick. But, yeah, that centre square group, and it changes every week at the start of the game. I just don't know how they get consistency there. Um, yeah, that, that is a frustration, I've got to say. It's a great point, Mick. I was going to like, you raise a really good point with that at the midfield. Um, I know we've drafted some top-end talent in the last few years, and we obviously got Jai in the mid-season draft, which was unbelievable. But until we're able to get, I know it's, said often bit a Petrarca type or a Bonton Pelly type, a big midfielder. Will Day's tall and big, but we need one with that that's got that burst of speed and I agree with you a hundred percent. 
And it's interesting. I remember when we were at the Brisbane game, we saw, um, I think we, I mentioned Quincy, I was sitting uh, with you when Jai started on the bench and Warple started in the midfield. And then, you know, the start of the second half, it's different. And then the next game, it's different. I know Sam's trying different things, but surely you start every single game with your best midfielder mix. And Jai's our best uh, midfielder probably with that uh, day. So it, it's an interesting point, Mick. But um, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see, obviously with the draft, which we'll you know have a session on uh, in a few weeks' time. Once the you know uh, Quincy will probably lead that one. But an explosive midfield, I still think we're one short. Josh Ward looks like he's going to be a really nice player, but he's small and lacks pace. Uh, Mackenzie's very very classy. I don't know Quincy. He doesn't look at overly quick and explosive to me. Um, we need like that six foot two plus midfielder that's got extreme uh, pace. So it'll be interesting to see. I just, I just want to jump in here um, and bring it back to what Morris said. Is this this year is a free hit, um, and I think we you, you know talking about the various rotations and seeing different midfield units every at the start of the game every week. That's experimentation. That's why we've seen Cam McKenzie run through there, Josh Ward run through there, Connor McDonald run through there. Um, Dylan Moore run through there uh, on top of the other guys you've mentioned because this midfield's not in its final form. Much like the rest of our team, um, we're trying to give exposure to as many people as we can while still trying to stay competitive in the midfield. And I think Sam generally has done a really good job of finding that balance of giving different players minutes through the midfield, um, allowing them to develop while also staying very competitive. I think we're top six as, um, you know, a clearance um, midfield in the comp. For a team that's third last, that's a fair effort. But I think referring back to Mick's point around cleanliness at the stoppage, I think that's also a reflection of a couple of the guys that we have in there. Warple's not necessarily uh, incredibly clean. Uh, Connor Nash is not necessarily incredibly clean. They're battlers, they're placeholders um, who are doing incredibly well this year. But in three years' time, you would hope that the Cam McKenzies, the Josh Wards, the Connor McDonalds, guys like that, have taken their spot and relegated them to a bench position, uh, relief midfield role, or that those, these guys are playing in box hills. So I think we need to ensure we keep an eye on the long term while we're thinking about the right now. And I think Mora's point at the start of this space about you know, this being a year where there's no pressure and no expectation allows our coaching staff to experiment a little bit more than, say, they would next year or in 2025. Just on that, you know, I, I take Maura's point about, you know, it's a year of experimentation. But equally, Rob McCartney said at the start of the year, the second half of the year would be better. Like, to me, we've almost gone back to the start of the year. It's like kids going on school holiday, coming back and starting class again, you know, three points for a half or five points for a half, you know, and even Mitch said that in the press conference, how you, how you lose is how you get respect, you know, and the way in which we've lost the last couple of weeks. You just think, okay, what's going on? Not, I'm, not, I'm not downhearted by it because I get the point about it's not linear progression, but there's still a capacity between our best and our worst is now actually higher. Having beaten the Lions, we've got a higher standard by which we can assess, but the floor hasn't been lifted. So the gap is now much greater. Yeah, I think they were pretty disappointed with the Carlton performance. I think there was, uh, I mean, I was at the game to see, but apparently there was some footage of Sam Mitchell at quarter time where he looked pretty shell-shocked by 
and not very happy about what was going on. So I think, and I think maybe the Brisbane wins raised some expectations, not just the supporters, but internally as well. We're going to get to all these questions because we did ask for a shout out for questions as we promote the space. So I'm just going to ask the questions. I'm going to go around our panel. And if any listeners out there want to answer the questions of, our, of the other listeners, jump in. Let's make this as wide ranging a chat as possible. From Justin, does DGB have to be a permanent forward? Because if we take one with pick three, it will take them 50 games or three years to know what we have. We won't see the best of Mitch Lewis till we have a dangerous second tall forward. Off-season has to be all about tall. Danny? Oh, that's the uh, that's the lot we've uh, we've drawn, unfortunately. Um, regardless of whether it's Denver Granger Barras or if it's somebody like Daniel Curtin um, from WA, um, if we draft another tall forward or we, we commit to Denver as the tall forward, both of those players are going to need 40 games before they're going to be um, producing anywhere near what we want to see at AFL level. So um, that's just reality. I think Mitch Lewis knows that. He knows that the next two years are going to be tough for him. Um, and that's why guys like Fergus Green um, are in there as chopouts. That's why they're experimenting with Brandon Ryan, who's 25, not 20, um, because there's going to be two years of a bit of, bit of trial and error, a bit of pain, uh, until the next generation of key tools take over. That could be Will McCabe. They might move him forward and play him as a centre-half forward. Um, but the same thing happened when Buddy and Ruffy were drafted. They showed some signs in their first couple of years, but it was, you know, um, third year really where we started to see the real emergence of those players when they got to 40, 50 games. And, um, you know, that's no different now with this, with this group and even the ones that aren't yet on our list. All right, next question. Is the template still the two rucks, two tall forwards and two tall back structure? Selection appears to be a reward for effort form and not give away games. Does this change the last eight games? If so, it would be a 180-degree turnaround. Brad, you're the selection uh, committee chairman. What do you think? Uh, it's a good question. I've said I don't think the two rucks is working. I'd play the one ruck. Uh, definitely need two, two key forwards with how poor our forward line is. Mitch Lewis definitely needs a, a second person there, even if it's Kaczynski, just to compete. We saw what happened on the weekends um, with Mitch Lewis getting double and triple teamed, which was really unfortunate for him. I actually felt really sorry for him. It got to the stage, you know, in the second half where he was way up the ground, just trying to get his hands on the ball, just to get a touch. Um, the back line we've seen with selection, the two key defenders definitely, because it frees up Sis. We saw at the start of the year when Sicily had to play more key position to how poor our backline uh, was. But again, what's the solution? James Blank, is he going to be, you know, our fullback in three years' time? We won't know still for quite a while. Sam Frost definitely won't be. Hopefully Denver's our player. Uh, Prinzi mentioned Will uh, McCabe will come in next year. But he's obviously going to be really raw early on. It'll take him a couple of years. But uh, the two key backs, yes. Two key forwards, yes. But I'd only play the one specialised ruck at the moment between Meek and Reeves, whoever it is, in my opinion, doesn't really matter. I'd select Meek because I think he is probably a little bit better around the ground. Okay, question for Nick Tolantis. How many list changes do you foresee at season's end with Tuck and Ryan already picked up in MSD? Mora. Sorry, Ash, it was a bit unclear um, from your mic. Can you repeat that, How many please? List- how many list changes do you foresee at the end of the season with Tucker and Ryan already picked up in the mid-season draft? Oh, that's a good question. Looking ahead, then. 
Um, I think we need to be pretty brutal um, just because we need to give ourselves options going forward. We need to be able to take a few picks in the draft, maybe three or four, and also leave room for, you know, an SSP and also um, leave a space open, you know, for next year's midseason draft. Um, so then it becomes quite tricky um, because we don't, I don't know. There's a lot of players that we we would like to look more at, but we might have to get rid of. So I think um, probably probably six, but who they are is is the next question. So Chadwick would be one of them. Yeah. Um, Sorry, what? Who did you say? Well, we'll save we'll save the going through the list forensically for a bit later on. But you think guys like Josh Morris, Wingard uh, would be in a bit of trouble straight away, you would think Max Lynch will probably come off. That's another one as well. Uh, we've got a few yeah, weeks to but, go through that. Yeah, but fundamentally to answer the question, I, I think it's got to be a few uh, just because we need to give ourselves room for flexibility. So let's call it five or six. Question from Phineas, who I notice is on the, uh, the spaces almost every week. So great to have you ask your question. This is for you, Danny. How do we approach the rest of the season? Do coaches play with structure, player positions, game plan, or do we wait till the end of the season to reassess where we're at? Have we seen enough of our list to work out who and who won't make it on the list in 2024 and beyond? Uh, it's a very good question by Phineas. I would say um, we need to give exposure to those who we're unsure about. So, um, you know, we just talked, uh, Nick mentioned uh, Clay Tucker and, and Brandon Ryan who were drafted in the mid-season draft. Clay Tucker's a long-term option, so we don't need to see him this year. Uh, but Brandon Ryan's in on a six-month contract, so we have to see him. Um, at AFL level, or he will not be around next year. You would ha- you would uh, expect. We need to see what Cooper Stevens can do at AFL level. Um, funnily enough, Cooper Stevens has played more, more. He played more games last year in an eventual premiership winning side than he has in a bottom three side this year, which is just baffling to me. Um, uh, but. Uh, I, we also would love to see Henry Huthwaite and see how he, he goes. And then one of those young um, small forwards at Box Hill would be good to see either Bennett or, um, or O'Sullivan. There is, there is nothing stopping us. I know we've used quite a few players already this year. There is nothing stopping us from using another four or five um, you know, and seeing what we have. We know there are a few players already that probably won't make it past this year. And, and you, know, you touched on a few of those already, Ash and Mara. Um, but there are others that have serious question marks. So we, we don't need to change our game plan or anything like that. We need to continue to play the way we are, but we need to get more games into these guys that have question marks just to see what we've got. And I'd add in Denver Granger Brass to that mix as well. For me personally, and, and there might be a few that disagree with the, this, it's more important to me that we play Denver Granger Barras in the AFL team than it is somebody like Sam Frost. So I'm not worried, even if that makes us a even less experienced um, back line. Uh, as soon as Sicily's back in, I'd be um, dropping Frost and I'd be getting Granger Barras in to replace him. Ash, back to you. Sorry, um, Mel Booth. With the team going so well in his absence, do you think they'll be able to squeeze Captain Sicily in when he is ready to return? Uh, I think they'll find room for him now, just quietly. Uh, Hawk12 has got a serious question about the defenders, but one of them I will throw to you, Brad. Will Blank make it? 
I'm hopeful. I I don't think he's a number. I don't think he's a number one. I think he's doing a pretty good job. Uh, it's a really good question. The, I hope he does. I think he's got potential, but I just I don't think he's good enough to be our number one key defender when we're playing finals again. So uh, I've seen enough. Like he's a you know he's a he's an okay AFL key defender at the moment. But the truth is, he, in my opinion, he probably wouldn't get a game for any other side in the comp. Like maybe, like West Coast have Barras, you know, who's way in front of him. Uh, McGovern's always injured. North Melbourne have Ben Mackay, who's going to be leaving them. And Griffin Logue, is he better than those two? Maybe on par. He's not better than Mackay. Like, so I think he's doing a pretty good job considering how much ball comes inside our defensive fifty. But will he make it as a quality AFL fullback? I'd say less likely than not, but there's still a bit of hope. Uh, Mora, question for you from Glenn Sanderson. Thoughts on Cade Simpson as our backline coach? I understand we, we were without Sis and Impy this week, but it doesn't look like we have any structure back there. He's an unproven coach, and it feels like we've taken a huge back step this year with our defence. It's a valid point, and it's one that my neighbour keeps texting me basically every week. Um, he is he is unproven. Um, he, he sort of came out of nowhere, and instantly our backline has gotten worse. Now, to to what Brad was just talking about, James Blank will be a better player when we are better. That's just how it works. Defenders are better when when the ball's not getting turned over and pinging straight back into your 50 from mistakes that are happening up the ground. Now, structurally, we could probably be better. um, But most of the time, we are not doing our backline any favours. And and the ball, we are moving the ball very quickly and it's coming back at us equally quickly. And our players just don't have the time to set up in any sort of structure. So you'll see... It, the end product is um, the ball goes inside 50 and someone takes an uncontested mark from the opposition. That's going to improve, I think, naturally when we improve. So I'm not going to hang Kate Simpson out to dry because <laughs> I'm just going to come back to my, the point that I keep making. We're going to have days where we look really bad because we're not a great team yet. Everything will look better when we get better. And when the play up the field gets better, and when the players get games together, this all takes a bit of time. Um, Cade Simpson never really saw a lot of success as a player, and he was part of a backline that lost a lot of games. So it's fair to perhaps um, <laughs> to perhaps wonder if he knows what a good backline looks like. <laughs> but, this is true. But. Um, all things considered, if you were to say, you know, dump him and go for a more experienced backline coach, that would be, as far as I'm concerned, just nothing more than scapegoating. All right. Uh, I'll put this question to you, Danny. Uh, what will it take for Cooper and Husswake to be given three to four games this season? It's a question from Pato. Where would you see them playing and who would they replace? That is a really good question. Um, so Cooper Stevens clearly has to replace one of the inside bull midfielders because that's the position that he plays. Um, so they'd be relying on, I guess, um, Nash or Warple having uh, being managed for a week, um, maybe rotating, you know, with the other being managed. Um, I, 
I think that the thing holding Cooper Stevens back right now is he has a, a very strong one wood. That's the contested ball. Um, but a bit like Warple, um, his one wood is kind of his only wood. So he doesn't really have many other strings to his bow. Uh, and that's what's holding him back. Um, talking about, you know, players who ha- have the talent and ability to play in different positions. Um, Cooper Stevens probably hasn't really shown that to this point in his career. And I'm not sure he is um, much more than an inside midfielder. I think he's quite good at what he does, but um, you know, that's kind of even, you know, when now in our heyday early on, that's what stopped Josh Kennedy um, from playing the majority of his football career at the Hawks is because he was a inside midfielder that could only play inside midfield. Granted, Josh Kennedy was very, very good at that. Um, he had to go find a place and a list that didn't have Luke Hodge, Sam Mitchell and uh, friends in front of him in that spot. So, Brad um, and Brad Sewell and uh, there's a few more too, Jordan Lewis, um, the list goes on. So, you know, for Cooper Stevens, that's his biggest roadblock at this stage. Uh, for Henry Hussweight, he is an inside midfielder as well. I think he is versatile enough that you could play him off a halfback flank um, in the first, you know, few iterations of his AFL career. Um, so I would be trying to give him a run in that space and rotate him through the midfield when we can. They've done that a bit at Box Hill uh, to this point, so that is definitely an opportunity. And 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 I think I think the reality is we we. I mean, we don't need to see Henry Hutswait this year. Um, if we didn't, it's not the end of the world. I think we do need to see Cooper Stevens this year because we went and actively sought him in a trade. That says you like him. That says you want him. To then not play him at all is kind of sending mixed messages or it's saying that he's not up to scratch. So, um, you know, and, and look, before yeah. I just saw... He's been a bit stiff, hasn't he, with Connor Nash's improvement. has, and James Warple's re-emergence, you know. And I just saw Mick's yeah. comment about another halfback flanker. Henry Hussweit, let me be very, very clear, is not a halfback flanker. Um, but when you're looking to bring players into an AFL system, generally, unless they're Jai Newcomb um, or, or guys that are absolutely ready, you don't play them straight in the guts straight away. So uh, I, I even think, if I remember correctly, Luke Hodges played uh, off a flank initially in his career before he moved into midfield. Um, you know, so what I'm saying is he could play there at a pinch and you could get games into him, get him a taste of AFL footy before you moved him into midfield. Uh, last one, question, uh, well, second last away. Lord Chester, Brad, wants, uh, wants to know, Brad, do we need a specialist ruck coach? Uh, yeah, I think it can't hurt. Uh, Monkey was really, you know, it was really, really good in that uh, role for us. Uh, having two really, as people have said, inexperienced and young ruckmen absolutely would help having someone senior. I'm not sure, you know, who's around these days. I know David Hale is our midfield coach, um, and I guess he's probably a bit of a ruck coach as well. But I would say after this season... It wouldn't surprise me if Sam went out to find a quality uh, ruck coach to help the development of Reeves and Meek, and obviously uh, Ramson coming through. So I'd say, yes, crucial to get one into the club. Okay, Ivan's nominated his list changes. Wingard, Jacob Morrison, Morris, Lynch, Cozzy, Bramble, DGB in trade. Forecasting 8 to 10 changes to the list at the end of the year. So we will see what happens now. 
I want to sort of lighten things up a little bit. We've uh, been fairly introspective and fairly serious, all feeling a bit grim. Tomorrow night at the MCG, and this is Lee Webb's question, anyone else going to tomorrow night's game to see Buddy on the G one last time? I am intending to be at the MCG tomorrow night to see the great Lance Franklin play his final game. At what I've called in this week's AFL record, his field of dreams, and you know, he might be synonymous with the... Uh, SCG, but that's recency bias. He has been one of the princes of the MCG from his very first game there when he kicked that magnificent left foot goal on the run uh, against Richmond, the team that twice passed him up at the previous year's draft. I think we've, we've long made our peace with Buddy going to the Swans, and I think certainly the fact that he's not going to play in a Sydney Premiership team means the tra- that he's always a better player. It's beyond debate that he was a better player and probably end up contributing a little bit more to Hawthorne than he did to the Swans. I think that seems to be the view of most people, certainly the view of Hawthorne people. But I want to throw it around very quickly before we finish up. What is, I've got mine. I want to hear if you guys share mine. I've got another game. And that your favourite memory of Buddy Franklin at the MCG. Starting with you, Danny. Oh, for me, it has to be the game against the Bombers where he kicked those two absolutely incredible goals. Picked the ball up on the wing took uh, an, uh, just a number of bounces, burnt his opponent. One of them was Kale Hooker. We remember that absolutely uh, clearly. Um, and then just nailed two of the best goals you'll see. Two absolute contenders for goal of the year. And not only did he pull them out in, in you know, in consecutive weeks, he did them in the same game. And ten minutes, 10 apart. minutes apart. And the beauty for me was, um, as a lot of people, uh, I was there... Uh, with my brother sitting on uh, level four on the forward 50, on the on the arc of the 50 touching the boundary line on the goal that he kicked those goals on. And just the, the whole stadium was absolutely electric. I will never forget those moments for the rest of my life. And I remember just standing there looking at my brother in, in shock and disbelief at what we just witnessed from this 198-centimetre, 100-kilo man. I think, you know, for him to be able to do that sort of thing um, is just phenomenal, and that memory will live with me for the rest of my days. Brad? It's too hard to choose. I want to give a couple. The ones that Prinzi just spoke about now, the goal against Collingwood in the 2011 so 2011 prelim when he was playing yeah. on Chris Tarrant, the dribbler was just unbelievable. The crowd went nuts. That goal is uh, underrated. His performance against the Bulldogs in 2008, I think it was the qualifying final. Um, yeah. That goal where he bounced, he bounced the ball to himself, basketball style. He sorted the ball. Yeah, that was one of my favourite goals of all time. But in all seriousness, like if we, you go on uh, YouTube and you watch highlights of Buddy when he played for Hawthorne, and we've been so blessed and lucky to see him and Cyril. If you watch the highlights packages of Rioli and Franklin, playing for Hawthorne, you just realise how lucky we were and how good they were. So I'd love to try and get there tomorrow night. I think I'm going to be working quite late. So, Ash, enjoy, because it's going to be the last time we see one of the greatest of all time, who was a Hawthorne player, play on the MCG. Mori, you got a favourite buddy moment from the MCG? Yeah, he kicked a couple of goals in the 08 Grand Final, which was good. But my my number one, the one that stood out instantly when you um, posed the question to us, was also against Essendon, but a different game. It was a bit younger, I think. It might have been 07. 
and he kicked five goals in a quarter, and it was just so beautiful to watch. Five him goals in them. fifteen minutes. He destroyed Essendon. Five goals in fifteen minutes. He kicked so he kicked four goals and then until they finally moved McPhee off him and then Mc, and then we kicked it to Roughhead and and McPhee's on him and he must have thought that he was having just the worst day ever and Roughhead's kicked from about fifty five meters out and McPhee finally did something good he smothered the kick and it bounced straight to Buddy he snapped it round the round the corner and kicked his fifth for the quarter and it was just beautiful it was so wonderful he was just starting to spread his wings I don't think he'd want to premiership or, or I don't think he'd kicked his 100 goals by then but it was so great to watch a dude just tear Essendon apart by himself um, that, that, that that quarter stands out for me that's why he did, we loved him so much because he he, he saved his best Essendon yeah. <laughs> he decided every he time knew, right he knew that Essendon games mattered and he would turn up to play Essendon and put on a show every yeah. single time yeah. all of supporters absolutely adored him for it so um, yeah, you both mentioned Mike, that 08 qualifying final when he kicked eight, that SWAT goal, then turned around off a couple of paces. I think it's the greatest goal I've ever seen. Yeah. Live. Oh, the best part about it was, I, I, I found this on Google, that was Dale Morris in the Herald Sun that morning said, I'm not worried about Buddy. Yeah. Big back page. So <laughs> Buddy's having breakfast with Campbell Brown. And he says to him, they, they, it shows, Brownie shows it by the article. He says, oh, is that right? He says, I'm going to hang eight on him tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and he went out and did it. So he's a, he was a freak at the time. And uh, I said, I've long made my peace with it. And I'm so looking forward to going tomorrow night. And I've said this a few times. I really hope the footy club, can, when it's all said and done, I would love nothing more than Hawthorne to bring him back for a lap of honour next year. Because I think Hawthorne supporters will forgive him and they will just face him with adoration Given the farewell he never got in the, because of the circumstances in which he left, I'm not sure that's a, a majority view, but it's something I really would like to see the footy club do next year, um, just to remind because he gave he brought so much enjoyment to so many Hawthorne supporters for for close to a decade. Uh, Patrick, quick question before we finish up. I was just going to say, not quite an MCG memory, but mine has to be the 07 grand, the 07 elimination final, where I was lucky enough to run through the banner, and what a great goal! to win the match for us. Yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic day. I've never heard a, a crowd as noisy as, as that one. Actually, let's go to his stats. He's actually, his average goals per game, uh, was it, it's one is uh, Utah Stadium, which I think is based on the back of the 13 against North Melbourne. Marvel is two, SCG is three. MCG is actually only number four. He's averaged three goals a game there. But I just think the highlights invariably came at the MCG, maybe because he played a few more games than anywhere else, but the MCG is the place where we saw him at his very best. Thanks, everyone, for your contributions. A couple of things we want to tie up before we go. Very quickly, um, Danny, Seamus Mitchell, our boy, two more years. Yeah, great news for Mitchell and great news for the footy club. Um, you know, reward for hard work and, and effort. And, um, yeah, he should be very, very proud of his efforts this year. He's gone from um, being the last man on the list to um, being, you know, one of the uh, one of the first picked in the back six, which is an incredible effort in a very short period of time. Nobody would have had Seamus Mitchell in their best twenty-three for Hawthorne at the start of the season. It's been a, it's been a meteoric rise. We started against the Giants a gather round that uh, Weesey and I were at that game, and he just for about five minutes in, he just looked totally at home and comfortable at the level. So he goes back and plays against that, against them once again. On Sunday, great to know that he's going to be part of the footy club for the next couple of years. 
Brad, selection or section will be up probably around lunchtime tomorrow. Without tipping away, have you got uh, have you got have you uh, got the axe out, or have you uh, you've been patient? Everyone needs to brace. The axe is out <laughs> big time. So I hope everyone reads it. Would love people's thoughts and our suggestions. I think I've nailed it yet again. In the what should happen, the what will happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, is not great, but yeah, the what should happen. Would love people's thoughts. All right, that'll be online. Hawks Insiders, probably late morning lunchtime tomorrow. That's been it. It's an action-packed show. We weren't sure what we'd get through the hour, and we absolutely nailed it. So thank you, everyone, for their contribution uh, tonight. It was great having so many people uh, send us questions via Twitter and to make comments uh, as well through the show. We really appreciate, as always, everyone's great support for what we're doing here. And great, as I said, to have a couple of sort of regular listeners who haven't asked questions, get them involved tonight as well through written questions. Uh, it's been wonderful. So we... Thank you all for that. Um, thank you for supporting Insiders. Five bucks on, 50 bucks a year. We're, as I keep saying this, that we do have a key Hawthorne figure coming on very soon when we actually get our uh, act together. We will have a recap podcast. I hope you liked the auction uh, format the other day. Just to break things up, we'll do that again a couple of times before the end of the season. And our recap article will appear sometime 24 to 48 hours after the Giants game. Does anybody give Hawthorne a hope of beating the Giants? Danny, any chance at all? No, not at all. Not at all. Brad, you would, you'd be saying no. Mara, what's the path to victory for Hawthorne on, uh, on, on Saturday? Well, we've just got to play better. I mean, we've, we've shown that if we play well, we can beat better teams than GWS. Um, I think Brad pointed out as well, the Giants sort of have the forward line that we match up well on. Um, even without Sicily. Um, I'm a bit worried about the ruck situation because they've got one of the hottest rucks in the league at the moment. But, um, and you know, he's hit, winning it down to Kelly and Canilio and the like. But, you know, um, we've played better midfields and beaten them. So we, we just have to play better. If we turn up the way we have the last couple of weeks, we'll get done. Um, but our best is good enough. They are overdue a win at uh, Giant Stadium to the type that comes. Late on Saturday afternoon, there'll be some good players back in the side as well. So they play better with Brockman in the side. They play better with Impey in the side. Um, and they'll be very tempted being GF back as well, I think, for a bit of run uh, as well, a bit, a bit of outside run that's been lacking a bit. But we'll wait and see. It's a Saturday game, so we'll get a full, we'll get the full actual team by this time tomorrow night. We will know it. Um, we'll talk to you again on the Hawks Insiders. I think next Wednesday is the last for Wednesday space. Before we move back to the Tom, I think everyone loves the most being the Thursdays. Thanks for your support. Thanks, everyone, for your great contributions once again. Enjoy the rest of the week, and we might see some of you at the MCG tomorrow night. Wear brown and gold in honour of Buddy. He'll, I'm sure he'll appreciate it. We'll talk to you then. Uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, and good night. Thanks so much for listening to Hawks Insiders. Head to our Substack for more quality analysis, special features, news, interviews, and so much more.